0: How we look forward to that day when Jesus comes back and we go home. That's really the theme here this morning as we pick it up here in First Thessalonians. You probably recall back in the opening verses of the book of Acts, 40 days after Jesus' resurrection from the dead, the disciples are there with Jesus and they ask Him a question. They say, Lord... Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus responds with this. He says, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority. He doesn't say there is no kingdom. He doesn't say you've misunderstood. He says, you know, that's really not your business when... Instead, He continues in the next verse and He simply restates and reminds them of the mission. You will be My witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. In other words, don't worry about when the kingdom is coming. Just get busy. That was Jesus' words then just before He ascends into heaven and it's still the commandment, it's still the mission today. And just after that, as I mentioned, Jesus ascended to heaven. The very next verse, Acts 1-9, you'll recall that Jesus is taken up into heaven and the disciples are standing there, just staring dumbfoundedly into space. They've never seen anybody just lifted up and disappear into the clouds matter of fact, I have never seen that either. And I don't guess you have. We would all probably be standing there going... And I love... I think God has a sense of humor. He sends a couple of angels and they just come up as I read the text. They just come up right beside the guys and just kind of... Finally they say, what are you guys staring at? Says... This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way you saw Him go into heaven. If I were to paraphrase what they were saying, it's why are you standing here looking? He told you to go get busy. Go get busy. The return of Jesus, His coming back to earth, is a big theme in Scripture It's a big part of the message of the New Testament. It is our great hope. The book of Titus chapter 2 says that we are waiting for our blessed hope. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. The return of Jesus is not only a big theme of Scripture overall, it's a big theme here in this little book of 1 Thessalonians. It's mentioned six times in this short little five-chapter book. I haven't really made a big deal about it as we've been going through in the weeks before this because I was knowing that we're going to get here to the end of chapter 4 and it covers these six verses before us today here from verse 13 to the end of the chapter. And then next week, The first 11 verses of chapter 5 will be our focus. And again, the return of Jesus is at the forefront of that passage. You remember that these believers here in this little town of Thessalonica, or actually it's a pretty good sized town, but this small band of believers there, they're, they're young in their faith. They have been believers in Jesus for Probably not much over a year, and likely less than a year. But they have fully grasped this message, this big theme in Scripture, and I'm sure in Paul's teaching there, that Jesus is coming back. The King is returning. There's kingdom, there is glory. They've grasped that. They are looking forward to the return of Jesus at any time. But Timothy, you'll recall, has, while Paul had to leave, he had to leave under cover of darkness, kind of being run out of town. And and uh, then he sent Timothy back sometime later to go and check on these believers up there. And Paul is now in Corinth and Timothy has come back with a report from this church in Thessalonica. And he's reported all the good things and, and Paul has been all these first uh, three and a half, four chapters... Paul has been uh, just uh, saying all the wonderful things that are going on in this church. But Timothy has brought back news that there is a problem. There is There is a concern these young believers are having and some questions they are having and it relates to the return of Jesus Christ. And so Paul now turns his attention to that subject to address this question that's on their mind, and their question is this. Their question is, what happens to a believer in Jesus Christ who dies? Perhaps in these months since Paul has left, perhaps some of the believers have died, or perhaps there's some who are, who have gotten ill and they're nearing death, or perhaps it's because this Little church, we know they're under persecution. They're suffering. That's been clear already in this book. And maybe some of these believers have been martyred or they are facing being killed for their faith. Something has brought this issue of concern. They've been waiting for Jesus to come back and He hasn't come back yet. And and they're realizing that some of our folks are dying or might die soon. And What happens to believers who die before Jesus comes back? Do they miss out on the return of Jesus? Do they miss out on kingdom and glory? That's the question. It's a question that so many folks still ask today in one form or another. What happens to believers when they die do they miss out on good stuff? What happens to believers who die? Paul responds here in verse 13. says, we, we don't want you to be uninformed or ignorant, brothers, about those who are asleep that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. You know, sometimes we use a, an old saying, that we'll quote an old saying that says, Ignorance is bliss. Sometimes that's absolutely true, but so much of the time, ignorance is not bliss. We, we all get it, right? There's a lot of times where we've been ignorant of something and it's cost us dearly, hurt us. And it's a problem here. Ignorance is a problem. Paul says, we don't want you to be ignorant. We don't want you to be uninformed about what happens to those who die. It has caused this it has caused these young believers some grief and some frustration and some worry and some concern. And again it's a question that sometimes believers ask today. There's no shortage of opinions you know uh, out there in the world today about what happens after death. All you have to do is go to any bookstore or uh, or watch TV for a while, and people have all kinds of crazy notions about what happens when people die. What happens after death. But they are basically, for the most part, they are speculations of people who are writing down stuff of which they know nothing. They just have ideas, thoughts. They are, as Jesus would say about uh, some of the... False teachers in his day, they are the blind leading the blind. So there's really only one person who has the inside track so that he can speak with authority about what happens when we die. And that is the one who died three days later, came back to life never to die again. It is Jesus Christ who has ascended to heaven and one day will come back here. He's the only one who can tell us with absolute authority what happens after we die. And the Apostle Paul wants us to know that the information that he's about to dispense to help remove some of the ignorance that these believers have to fill in the little hole in their theological education, he wants them to know that this Word is not some opinion that he pulled out of some, you know, Dialogue that the, the apostles are sitting around having, you know, a dorm room discussion and they kind of thought up some ideas. He wants us to know where this is coming from, that it comes with authority. And he says, verse 15, he said, notice, he says that this is a word from the Lord himself. It's from the Lord Jesus. And so what we have before us this morning is not just some Well, maybe this is what it's like. Maybe this is what will happen. What we have is the word from the authority of the one who knows and the one who will make these things happen. We have a word from Jesus himself. Paul lays out for us three important truths that Jesus wants us to know about our future as believers. The first of these truths we find here in these, in verses 14 through 16, if you would follow along as I read, says, For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. The first thing that Paul writes that Jesus wants us to know is that there's resurrection coming. The dead in Christ will be resurrected. And there are several things that are said here about death and resurrection that I want us to notice. One of them is the fact, you will notice that as Paul talks about those who have died, he uses the word sleep. He uses it there in verse 13 about those who are asleep. He uses it again in verse 14. God will bring with Him, that's Jesus, those who have fallen asleep. A sleep in the Bible is not just some nice way to avoid saying they died. See, we use a lot of euphemisms for death in our culture because we really don't like to talk about death. And we don't like to speak of it in harsh terms. They died. So we we use other things. They passed away. They went on to the great beyond. and, And people say all kinds of things rather than saying they died. It's a subject we don't like to talk about in our culture as a whole. The Bible is not afraid to talk about death. That's not the reason it uses this word sleep. This word sleep is used intentionally as a metaphor, as a word picture to describe death. But it's used very intentionally. If you study Scripture and look through, you will discover that nowhere in the Bible... Does it use the word sleep to describe the death of the unbeliever? Only the believer. And there's a reason for that. It says that death is sleep. And and it doesn't mean by that that our body and soul go to sleep and just are out, you know, cold until resurrection. Matter of fact, you'll recall that when Jesus was on the cross, He spoke there to that the man who was next to Him who said, Lord, remember Me when You come into Your kingdom. And Jesus turned to him and said, You know, someday, sometime in the distant future at the resurrection, you'll be with Me in paradise. That's not what He said, was it? He said, today you will be with Me in paradise. The Apostle Paul, when he writes to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 8, he says, speaking again of death and resurrection and this whole topic, he says, we would rather be apart from the body, away from the body, and be at home with the Lord. We'd rather be away from the body. To be absent from the body, to be away from the body, is to be with the Lord. That's the teaching of Scripture. When when the believer dies, we immediately step from from this life into the presence of Jesus Christ. So what does it mean when it says that death is sleep? Well, it's, it's a picture. It's a picture taking what we know about what sleep is and helping us get a little bit of understanding about what death is. You know, sleep is... Physical sleep is a peaceful thing. It is a restful thing. To the unbeliever, death is frightening. It is scary. We don't know where we're going and and, and there, there's concern, there's worry, but for the believer, we know that we step from this life right into the presence of Christ. It is not a scary, frightful thing. It is a peaceful thing. It is a joyful thing. We step. We, we enjoy fellowship and rest with Jesus. Sleep looks like, when somebody is really sleeping well, they look like they're dead. But they're not. In a very real way, in physical death, our body is dead. It, it lays down in the ground and starts to decompose. But we are not dead. We are, as Dwight L. Moody said when you read in the paper one day that Moody is dead, don't you believe it? For at that moment I am more alive, will be more alive than I have ever been. So it is, when our body is inactive and appears dead, or our body is dead, we're alive. Just like in sleep. The body appears dead, but the mind is not dead. The mind is very much alive and very busy, actually, they tell us. I wouldn't know. Also, sleep is something that is temporary. When we sleep, the body will soon wake up and rise up. So death is also, for the believer, a temporary situation. It's a temporary separation of spirit from body. One day the body will rise be reunited with the spirit. That's why the Bible talks about death as sleep. It's a picture. Another thing to notice about our resurrection here from this text is that our resurrection, this text teaches us, is assured. It is guaranteed. Paul says it's because of Jesus' resurrection. Verse 14, Since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Him, through Jesus, God will bring with Him those who have fallen asleep. Since we believe that Jesus died... And since we believe that Jesus rose, we can be assured that we will also rise. The Apostle Paul later will write the Corinthians. Right now he's in Corinth writing this letter to the Thessalonians. Later when he leaves Corinth, he'll discover they're having problems about this idea of resurrection. Because you see, for the Greeks, it was a foolish thought. Resurrection was just crazy. And he writes to the Corinthians and he says, wait a minute. He says, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how could some of you say there is no resurrection from the dead? See, there are some folks in that church who are saying, well, as believers, we're not really raised. He says, that's ridiculous. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. And our faith, your faith is in vain. This whole thing is a waste of time. If Christ has not been raised. In other words, at the heart of the Christian faith is resurrection. Not only the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, but also our resurrection from the dead. Without resurrection, the Christian faith is worthless. A waste of time. So you say, okay, there's resurrection coming for believers. We see that's a point here in this text. But the question is, the question still remains... For believers who die, they're going to be resurrected. Got that. But will they miss out on good stuff? It's a great question. Short answer is no. No believer misses out just because they die. Verse 15, that phrase, we who are alive, he says, we're still alive he goes on will not precede those who have fallen asleep the point of that little phrase will not precede in effect is saying that those who die don't get the short stick those who die don't get left out they don't get left behind they don't get kicked to the back of the line and get cheated that's the point death does not the death of a believer does not in any way diminish the death of a believer does not in any way Impinge upon or diminish our participation in the return of Christ and His kingdom. That's the point. It doesn't, it in no way does, will our death in any way negatively impact or cause us to miss out on any future blessing. But let me add, not only is it talking about future blessing, but in no way do we miss out on blessing, on what's going on here. You see, I think there's an awful lot of us as believers who, from time to time, when we think about whether when we think about this life coming to an end, whether it's by the return of Jesus or whether it's through death, there's fear that we're going to miss out. I mean, we've all thought that I'm probably from time to time. Well, I want Jesus to come back, but not until. You know, and fill in the blank with the things that we think we need to ha- take care of before He comes back. We want to happen because we don't want to miss out. And we've often had the thought when someone dies, especially when they die young, oh, how sad because they never got to, they missed out is the point. See, we we thought that and that's that I'm sure is part of the question here. For these folks, they're thinking if, they, if our brothers and sisters in Christ die before Jesus comes back, don't they miss out on stuff here and stuff there? And the answer here is no. Paul told the Philippians chapter 1, verse 23, he says, I desire to depart. I'll put it in parentheses here. I desire to die and be with Christ. Which is better by far? That I'd rather die this second and be in heaven with Jesus because that's far better. But it's more necessary for you than I remain in the body. Paul is saying, in other words, being with Jesus is better than anything here on earth. But as long as Jesus wants me here, I'll stay here and I'll serve faithfully. Man, the minute he says, I'm done, I don't want to miss the bus. Anything on earth, nothing on earth, compares to what what lies before us in heaven. Some of us, I think, have a hard time believing that because we just think that, you know, despite all the problems and challenges in life, you know, there's some things that just, Life just won't be complete if I don't experience that, don't have this, whatever. The nearest I can, I've tried to think, how do I explain things? And I, The best illustration, probably not a good one that I can think of, is going to Six Flags. If you guys remember back when you used to like to go there. <laughs> your kids still do, your grandkids still do. But do you remember what it was when they'd open up the newest and biggest and bestest ride? You know, the latest, you know, roller coaster of death. And <laughs> you're just like, oh, I can't wait to get there. And we're going to go ride the coaster and see you get there. And you get in line. And it's like a four-hour wait. But it's going to be worth it for two minutes of death. <laughs>
1: <sighs> and there
0: you are with your buddy and you're waiting in line and waiting in line. All of a sudden, a couple of park employees come up to your buddy and they say, "Come with us. We're taking you to the front of the line." And they look back to you and say, "Don't worry, when you get there, he'll be he'll be up there. Well, I'm just glad I'm still in line did Did he miss out on anything? Well, you get to the front of the line. What you discover is that you know, They took him on a little tour backstage of how the thing works. They gave him some snacks. He got to ride it about ten times before you got there. He didn't miss out on a thing. I I say in a really crudely way, that illustration I think is the point. Everything we think that we don't want to miss out on here, when we get to heaven and look back, it'll be kind of like waiting in line. The prize isn't here, the prize is there. That's the point. That's why Paul says, you know, I far would rather be there than here. Right now I'm just waiting in line. But this is where Jesus wants me, so I'm staying here. Do they miss out? No. There's resurrection coming. There's a second great truth here. We gotta hurry. Verse 17. Then we who are alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. The second great truth he wants us to see is there is rapture. There is rapture. Living believers will be raptured. Paul believed this event could happen at any time. You'll notice, he says that he includes himself in this group. He says, "Then we who are alive." Paul thought this could happen during his lifetime. The word for that, the theological word for that, is it is imminent. It could happen at any time. Paul thought it could happen in his day. It didn't. It's been almost 2,000 years. Still hasn't happened. But it can happen any time. One thing I know is we're almost 2,000 years closer to it than we were, than they were at Paul's day. But it will happen because Jesus says it will. The scripture says it will. It will happen. Now, there are some believers, and maybe you're one, who'd look and say, wait wait a minute, you just said rapture. I've heard people talk about the rapture, but I've looked in the Bible and I've never found the word rapture anywhere. Maybe you've never looked in the Bible, but you've heard the term. You wonder, where does it come from? Well, I want you to know this. There are people who say, I don't believe in a rapture because it's not in the Bible. And I say, well, if you believe the Bible, you believe in rapture because... It comes right from this verse. It's right here. You, you don't see it because the word's not an English word, actually. It's been brought into English, but it came from Latin. The Bible was written in Greek. When it was translated from Greek to Latin, these words that are translated here in our verse, caught up, in, in Latin is the word raptus. That's where the word rapture comes from. It simply means to be caught up. And what he says is here that that those who die before Jesus comes back will be resurrected. But those who are alive when Jesus comes back will be caught up. So there's going to be a rapture. The question is, there that word caught up means also can mean snatched away. And we wonder if somebody is snatched away, if they're caught up, what are they raptured away from? What are they snatched away from? The text doesn't say. So you might think, well, they're just raptured away from earth. But really, there's a much better answer than that. It's found right here in this book of 1 Thessalonians over in the first chapter. We saw it several weeks ago. Where it says, we wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. When Jesus comes back, He's going to deliver us from the wrath that is to come. Another way of saying it is, He's going to snatch us away. He's going to carry us away, catch us away from the wrath to come. That's what the rapture is about. Now, all that to say that's good news. No matter how you slice it, that's good news. If you're a believer, being rescued from wrath, I mean, how many of you would rather not be rescued from wrath? I didn't think so. Okay. Understand that the talk of rapture and those things immediately raises the hair on the back of a lot of people's necks. This has become an area of contention and division in the church. There's a lot of different opinions about this text. When are we raptured and why are we raptured? I'll just very quickly run through this and it will make, for some of you, your head will explode. It's okay. Just so you know, there are. I'm just going to say there's four major viewpoints. Here's one. Uh, the pre-tribulational viewpoint. Pre-tribulationists say that this rapture takes place before a period of seven-year period of tribulation that is talked about in Daniel chapter 9 and Daniel chapter 12 and Matthew chapter 24 and 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and the book of Revelation chapter 6 through 18. Talk about this time of trouble or tribulation on the earth. And the pre-tribulationists say the rapture takes place pre, before those seven years. And that's the wrath that we are rescued from as God pours out His wrath upon a sinful earth. Now there's another viewpoint, the mid-tribulationalist. The mid-tribulational view says this rapture takes place at the midpoint of those seven years, three and a half years in, right before the second half, which is the Bible calls the Great Tribulation. Then there are those who are the post-tribulationalists. After the tribulation, there's a rapture where Jesus comes back after those seven years and and folks, believers are raptured up and uh, Jesus returns to earth in power and glory, vanquishes His enemies and establishes His millennial kingdom. And the wrath that they're rescued from is as Jesus vanquishes His enemies there. And then there are amillennialists who don't believe in either a literal tribulation on earth nor an earthly kingdom of Christ. They say that the rapture occurs when Jesus comes back to earth at His second coming where He judges the wicked and establishes His eternal kingdom. And you hear all that? If you've never heard any of that before. If you've heard it all before, you've already got an opinion. If you haven't heard it before, your head just exploded. Take the next few years and you can take some time and dig in. I hope it piqued your curiosity to see what the Scripture says. Which view is Right? Well, personally, I hold to the first view. So do our elders and the pastors of the chapel who preceded me. We hold that view, obviously, because we think it's the most consistent with Scripture. Otherwise, we wouldn't hold that position. But, understand that there are plenty of very godly men and women, pastors, teachers, theologians, who love Jesus, who love the Word of God and study and take the Word of God seriously, who they take one of the other positions or some variety thereof. Understand that there are fundamentals of Christian faith that must never be compromised. They are clear and they are foundational and they are essential. And then there are some things where we, we come and it's not perfectly clear and not not one of us can can say we know exactly what God is going to do in the future with all of these different things. It's good to study and to go deep and to have some good healthy debate and question and to to formulate some ideas and thoughts and and uh but understand that none of us has it all nailed down and so as believers there's there's room for us to agree on all the essentials and the fundamentals and on some of these things to have some difference of opinion. Now, all that, because I didn't want to spend a whole lot of time on this, and I hope I haven't lost you out there in the forest, but I, because I didn't want you to lose you in the forest where you miss the trees. The trees that are so incredibly clear in this text. I will say just that you know, I've heard some commentators talk about a sports team that's having problems and they will sometimes say of a sports team that they have a gift for snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. I think sometimes the church has that gift. And we take things that God has given to us that are to give, given for our encouragement and to unite us and to strengthen us and build us And we take that same stuff and we take it as something that divides and breaks us up. That's what so often is done in these areas of future things. Let's not be there. Let's not go there. Let's look at what's clearly here. And let's enjoy it. Let's relish it. There is resurrection. The dead in Christ will be resurrected. There is rapture. Living believers will be raptured, caught up, and rescued from wrath. And then there's one more truth here. Verse 17. We who are left will be, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. The third major truth we need to see in this passage is there is reunion. We will be reunited with believers who have died. Our loved ones, family, friends, This is why we don't grieve like others who have no hope. Apart from Jesus, there is no real hope. There is no way with assurance to know what's coming on the other side of death. If anything, there's only fear and concern. But for all of us who know Jesus, we have assurance there's reunion coming. And so when our loved one dies, we don't say goodbye, we say see you in the morning. We are united not only with those who have died, but we are also reunited or united with Jesus. I say reunited because we are united with Him, we have a spiritual connection with Christ, we are in Christ, we have a relationship with Him, but we've never seen Him. But then the Scripture says we will finally see Him face to face. You know, the greatest joy of heaven will not be family and friends. As wonderful as that will be, and it will be wonderful. The greatest joy of heaven, when, when you first get there, I guarantee, well, I pretty well guarantee. I don't know. But I have a sneaking suspicion. How's that? When you first get to heaven, your first thought won't be, where's my husband? Where's my wife? Where's my mom? Where's my dad? Your first thought is, where's Jesus? You see, He's the center of attention in heaven. The great joy of heaven, as good as reunion with folks will be, the greatest joy will be reunion with Jesus. And you know, the other thing I last thing I notice about this reunion is that it's always it's forever. We will always be with the Lord it says. The older I get, the more I realize just how short this life is. The last 20 years went by like that. And by the statistics, I won't be here in the next after the next 20. I got good genes. I might stick around another ten years after that if Jesus doesn't come back first. But, the one thing I know is it's going to go like that. One of the great things about this, heaven is not only infinitely better than this life, it's forever. There's no time clock that runs out. It's forever. And what that should do is change how you and I live today. All these truths are here not so we can we can fight and worry over the details about some of these little things that are going to happen, but so that we can see here's the plain truth of what Scripture says and it should change how we live every moment of every day. And so the purpose, he says in the next verse, the last verse, verse 18, therefore encourage one another with these words. That's the purpose of this. So you and I can encourage and be encouraged when we do lose a loved one who trusted Jesus. A month ago when my mom died, it was these very truths that gave us encouragement and hope and peace. So many of you went out of your ways to just encourage and remind me of the truths I already knew it. But it's always good to be reminded and encouraged not only encouragement when we lose a loved one, but it's to encourage us and for us to encourage others when they face their own time of death. Don Fisher, most of you know, just a little over a month ago, just went home to be with Jesus. But if you were around Don in the last year of his life as he knew death was coming, There was not a guy who was panicked. There was not a guy who was fearful. There was not a guy who was regretful. There was a guy who was anticipating with joy going to be with Jesus and was committed to using whatever days and time and energy he had left to honor Christ. That's what these verses are here to do. And they're here to encourage us to live whatever time we have boldly and faithfully for Jesus, knowing that our future is awesome and our future is secure in Jesus. And so with that, I'd be remiss to end and not clearly say something. These promises and this good news is not good news for everyone. It's very clear here in the text. It's only good news for those, as verse 16 says, who are in Christ. In other words, those who are believing, trusting in Jesus Christ as their Savior. And so it raises this question. Are you trusting in Jesus as your Savior? Are you ready whether your life ends by your death or whether your life ends when Jesus Christ returns? Are you ready? Are you ready? If not, the message through Scripture is very clear. He's inviting you to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, to be one who is in Christ, who has an eternal future. It's guaranteed. If that's you this morning, you can even in the next few moments, you can just pray as we talk and just tell the Lord, I realize I need a Savior. I'm trusting You. You want to talk to somebody? You can talk to me anytime. Call me anytime. If you want, while, the, while we're going to sing a song just a second, you can even come right up front and somebody will meet you up here talk to you about how you can know Jesus as your Savior. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this Word. It's encouraging because it refocuses our minds to reality. This life is so short. Heaven is forever. We can have a future there. And if we're trusting in Jesus, we do have a future there. And it should change how we live every moment here. Lord God, may we we rejoice and revel in resurrection and rapture and reunion. May those encourage our hearts and shape our priorities. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.